Hi, and welcome back to I Love You. I know. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kevin. And this is our podcast about love, marriage, and Star Wars. But it's mostly about Star Wars. Kevin, how you doing tonight? Doing great. It's uh, another week. You know, it's funny. The first week of January, everything seems really calm. You expect it to be really busy. And then the second week of January, bam, here it is. And here we are. And here we are. Uh, calm is not how I would explain really anything right now, which is so great, though, because we have Star Wars and Star Wars brings us happiness. It brings us together and, you know, brings us a nice distraction from everything going on. So all good stuff. Indeed. Yeah. So the other day, you and I, I don't know what it was we were doing, but we were talking about like who's the most Jedi of all the Jedi or something. And like, how do we define that? And which Jedi do we compare and how do we choose to compare them? And does it actually even really matter and so we figured why not have that discussion tonight yeah and just right off the top it matters it matters a great deal oh well then (laughs) okay it matters a lot all right so I'm, i'm gonna read off a list of some folks that we might potentially categorize as jedi although a few folks maybe we we don't ever really truly see their becoming or maybe they choose to uh, not become but uh here are a few jedi for you here We've got Yoda, we've got Qui-Gon Jinn, Luke Skywalker, Anakin Skywalker, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Leia Organo, or as she eventually becomes Leo Solo, uh, Rey, Ben Solo, Mace Windu, Keatumundi, or as you like to call him, Cam, um, <laughs> Ezra Bridger, Kanan Jarrus, Ahsoka Tano, Count Dooku, before he goes dark side and Grogu, or Baby Yoda. Yep, those are all... Jedi or potential Jedi or former Jedi or have some claim to the Jedi mantle. And I think they each really represent a different version of what being a Jedi is. And I think the real question is, who's the most Jedi Jedi? What is what does it really mean to be a Jedi? Is it always the same? Does it change over time? And, you know, in the end, who is it that is uh, that is the most Jedi Jedi? So why don't you tell us a little bit about the Jedi code? So the Jedi code, you know, officially. So if we're if we're gonna kind of gonna be pedantic, which a lot of folks who know me know that I am, you know, the the Jedi code has taken some many forms, but the most popular form is this: there is no emotion, there is peace; there is no ignorance, there is knowledge; there is no passion, there is serenity; there is no chaos, there is harmony; there is no death, there is the Force. And you know, over the years. The Jedi Order have sort of lived by that code. And so by one definition, it's kind of who best follows that code. Um, but, you know, as as with many things, and, and this dips a little bit into legends, over time, different leaders of, of the Jedi Order kind of change the code a little bit, especially uh, when we get out of the Republic area. Uh, Luke Skywalker has sort of his own version and potentially future Jedi leaders have their own version of it. But, you know, by that measure, you know, who do you think kind of best meet that that code? And is that code really the best way for us to judge if someone's a good Jedi? And I think the thing that we have to establish is that the Jedi order unto itself was inherently flawed. So the fact that we are trying to establish who's the most Jedi means that we're trying to decide who either best fits into that flawed culture or best fits into what we believe a Jedi should be and thus doesn't actually fall within that definition of a Jedi code. Yeah, and to me, it's the the second thing you said there. It's I don't think that being 
the very best uh, adherent to the Jedi Order and the, you know, in fact, I'll, I'll go so far as to say that, you know, I think Ki Adimundi or Cam, and, and just for everybody's reference, he's the guy, I, he really, to me, represents a whole bunch, everybody who sits in the circle in the, in the you know, in the Jedi Council are not, they are the kind of most milquetoast, weakest Jedi. To some extent, I would almost go so far as to say that folks like Dooku have more of what I think makes a good Jedi than those folks in that council. They're they're the least, even though they are the ones who follow the, you know, follow the code and, you know, ostensibly represent all that is the Jedi Order. I think that they are the, the furthest away from what it really means to be a Jedi. I would agree with you there. I, I think we were talking about kind of what traits we think a Jedi embodies and, you know, a strength with the light side of the force, uh, selflessness, um, their combat skills, their lightsaber skills, their their ability to be in tune and meditate with the force and, and to find that serenity, which is part of the Jedi code. But I, I think we do establish that meditation means that you don't have to be serene the entire time. And I, I think that that's an important aspect, like the idea that they're always going to be calm and, and patient doesn't really make a lot of sense because all of these Jedi that we have seen, we've seen them show emotion at some point or not. Um, and then they, they keep the peace. The Jedi, when we meet them in the movies, we're told they are the keepers of the peace. And, you know, that's ironic because they're actually, you know, generals in the original trilogy, which is uh, kind of the exact opposite. And before going back to uh, before Bane, they, they were certainly warriors um, and that's really what they were. So to judge them as keepers of the peace is something that I wouldn't necessarily consider, but maybe. Um, but the ability to be peaceful, I, I think that is important. Well, and I think that there's a there's a big difference to me between keeping the peace in sort of from an individual standpoint and where you know where the force and peace touch individual people is very different from being a general in a war and keeping the you know the fighting well fighting a war is inherently not keeping the peace um and so i think that you can you know violence and peacekeeping are not necessarily uh contradictory and i think that where Good Jedi use their abilities to protect and defend the, the defenseless, um, whether that means, you know, cutting someone's arm off every once in a while or, or you know, facing down the First Order. I think that those are all uh, weirdly, paradoxically violent keepings of the peace. And I think that that does really very align with what a Jedi is. I would agree. I would agree. Um, so l let's knock a couple of these folks kind of off the list as far as not being the most Jedi of the Jedi. I, I think that they are important characters. I think that their abilities with the Force are, are strong and, and meaningful in the galaxy far, far away. But I, I wouldn't necessarily say they are the creme de la creme of Jedi. And, and I'm going to throw in Leia here, Ben Solo, uh, Keatumundi, um, and... Count Dooku, honestly. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think Leia did not uh, embrace her Jedi heritage. And, you know, she chose the path of, of, a, of a general and a diplomat, which I think was actually a better path for her. And I think it was really interesting to see 
uh, her train as a Jedi and, you know, open herself to the force, but it was really never her path. And so, you know, she is not, she's a, she's a, an, an incredibly amazing character, but is not the most Jedi Jedi. I think you're, you know, I've, I think I've already said my piece about the council. Um, I think that Dooku, you know, I, I put him on this list for consideration. And I think what's interesting about Dooku is that he was one of the first to recognize that the Jedi Council in its current form was not the true Jedi way. Um, but then he fell to the dark side and, you know, he, he took it in the wrong direction, right? He, he, but, but I think he gets, you know, some sort of mention for at least recognizing that the way he was raised was not the, was not the true Jedi way. However, it's interesting to note though, that his master was Yoda. So when he was but a Padawan, Yoda was his master. And so if anyone should have wound up being the most Jedi of Jedi, you'd think it would be Yoda's Padawan, right? Yeah, you would think so, though Yoda had many Padawans, so, you know, um, and, and that certainly begs the question if Yoda is the most Jedi Jedi, and we'll get there. Um, but yeah, I mean, he, he had every opportunity, and he used that to recognize um, what, was, what was wrong with the Order. And I think that brings, you know, probably into the conversation next would be, you know, Qui-Gon Jinn, very interesting, maybe nominee for this, um, because he had the same recognition, but chose not to leave the order, at least not at the time that we, that he, that, you know, of his death. I think that he may have been on the same path. And, and you know, Count Dooku even brings that up to Obi-Wan Kenobi during one of the movies where he said if, if Qui-Gon had survived, because if you remember Qui-Gon was Dooku's Padawan, if he had survived, he may have joined Dooku. And Obi-Wan rejects that notion, but if you really think about it, would he? Yeah, and, and I think this is what led us to rewatch episode one Saturday night, um, trying to determine if Qui-Gon Jinn is the most Jedi of the Jedi. And I think one of the things that he embraces so much more than so many of the other Jedi that we know and love is the, the cosmic force and the living force and understanding the balance between the two. And I, I think that that is kind of a level that we really don't see from really too many other folks. We, we see a little bit in that like weird... Um, connection between Rey and, and Kylo Ren we, we see um that from Yoda in season six of the Clone Wars where he's got like his really trippy adventures um but we we really do see it the most I think from Qui-Gon Jinn is, is really trying to understand the balance and, and how he kind of his voice stays and, and suggests that the, the force is not just you know flowing through all living things but all living things can flow through the force after they stop being living. So it, it, it's, uh, I, I think, honorable mention to Qui-Gon Jinn for most Jedi Jedi. Yeah, I think that he was, you know, he he's sort of the cross guard lightsaber of this argument, which is to say that he, he blazed a trail that leads other Jedi to be the most Jedi. Um, but I don't think he quite made it all the way there, um, you know, there, but for the grace of others not having thought of it first. Um, but I agree with you. I, I think he was really one of the early um, Jedi to understand the cosmic force and embrace it and recognize that there's more to um, everything than than the living force. And so I think he was on the on the path. But I do, I think that he fell a little bit short. I think he was a little bit too imp impatient. He was a little bit too radical for his time. Um, he was. He subscribed to the the chosen one. He he was such a believer in that. And I I think that you know 
that like just blind faith in something is one of the reasons why he doesn't win most Jedi Jedi because that kind of puts him in the same grouping as the rest of the Jedi Council is that he's got these beliefs that are just so strong and he's not willing to consider something outside of that and I think that's kind of what knocks him out not to mention he dies before we get to see him do too much else right well and and also I think that his own subscription to his own beliefs um at the expense of everyone else's is a little bit too selfish that he believes himself to be better and more knowledgeable than everyone else. Um, which, you know, he may not be all that wrong, but the, the arrogance and selfishness, uh, sort of strikes him from, from the running, but very strong. And, and I really wish we had had the opportunity to see more Qui-Gon Jinn, uh, before his, before his death. I, I would agree. And I, I want I do wonder truly if we would have seen him go down the path of Dooku instead of, you know, Asajj Ventress becoming his uh, apprentice, but who only knows. So again, honorable mention to Qui-Gon Jinn, but moving right along, um, you know, we, we can talk about Mace Windu here. He kind of sticks out from the rest of the Jedi Council. And why is that? Yeah, I think a couple reasons. One is he he has more passion than the rest of the council put together and he, he's not supposed to have passion though well but i'm not sure that it's all that wrong to have passion agreed um, he he has he has a lot of will and he has a lot of drive and i think that he has the right amount of passion and in fact he invents um his own lightsaber technique that only he can use i believe it's called vapod where you are able to use your passion but remain on the on the light side unfortunately the depiction of it in episode three is just still i maintain the most horrendous lightsaber fight him versus sidious was just the just the absolute worst but um you know he has a unique ability to tap into that passion without falling to the dark side and so that gives him a certain a certain elevates him among the rest of the council and he is a little bit more thoughtful and introspective and humble uh, than the rest of the council. He, you know, in in a conversation with him, and I think Obi-Wan and Yoda uh, talks about how some of our some of the Jedi are too sure of themselves. Um, he is at least able to recognize that there are flaws in the Jedi in the Jedi Council, but he's still not able to really fully understand uh, what those flaws mean and was not able to withstand, you know, sort of the onslaught of uh, Sidious or convince um, Anakin Skywalker to side with him because he really still buys into the, a lot of the sort of palace intrigue elements of being on the Jedi Council. So I think he's interesting and, and he is, but he is probably one of the more pure warrior em, embodiments of a Jedi, but he's a little bit out of balance because I think that his warrior side of him sort of overrides some of the other sides that, that would make him a more rounded Jedi. I, I would agree. And I think that this is where I, I would think that he doesn't really embrace the selflessness aspect of being a Jedi that we would want him to see. If you think about uh, season seven of the Clone Wars where he doesn't want to share information with Ahsoka Tano because she's left the Jedi Order and he is very his feelings are hurt that she did not come back to them and so he's treating her as not one of them and I think that that is to stroke his own ego it is not because of some kind of Jedi code and so I think that he where he falls down is on the selflessness nature he's also you know kind of and I don't blame him for it anyway but he he's very um condescending to 
other life forms and droids and and so it he he sees everyone else who's not a jedi is maybe still being his responsibility but he he definitely elevates himself to a level where i wouldn't necessarily associate the word selflessness with him yeah i think that's right yeah he he sees himself as a superior being and in fact he applies the same to to qui-gon he is very um he very quickly rejects the notion of training anakin um, and the prophecy of the one, you know, he kind of rolls his eyes at, at that idea, even though, you know, Qui-Gon ended up being very correct on that. Um, and so, yeah, he kind of puts his own judgment above everybody else's. So not quite there. Um, some, you know, heading in the, again, another one heading in the right direction. Probably if you take, you know, Qui-Gon plus Mace Windu, you're starting to get there, but we're not quite there yet. Yeah, not, not there yet. So uh, another honorable mention to Mace Windu. But I, I think one of the things that you touched on was his ability to kind of tap into what's borderline the dark side of the force and, and still be able to use that for positive results and come back and use the light side of the force and, and that brings us to two other jedi that I, I think are very skilled at that and that is uh ray and ezra bridger yeah uh, i completely agree and I think the two of them have a lot of similarities, right? I mean, if you think about, you know, both their biographies, they kind of come from, you know, they're not from any of the famous lines. They're not from any of the powerful people. They um, are, are, you know, people who grew up into, you know, young, young adulthood or pre-adulthood, um, not knowing about the ways of the force and then learned it late in life. They're both people who have a bad enough childhood that they have some sort of residual anger. Uh, and that comes out in in the way that they act in the in the ways of you know of the Jedi, but they also have so much compassion for everybody around them and are willing to put themselves on the line to protect the people around them and to do what is right. Um, and you know sometimes there's a little bit of twist to that, especially in Ezra's case. You know he um, you know he believes that using a Sith holocron and and some of the ways that you know he just straight up murders Imperials. Um, in, in some fairly brutal ways, may have been a little bit of a, of a twist, but he, he always does it in the spirit of protecting his friends and doing what's right. Um, Ray kind of similarly, you know, she loses control, but she's always trying to do the right thing. Um, and so, yeah, I think they're both really interesting cases where that, where that passion and that emotion and that the attachment works for their benefit, even though sometimes they take it too far. Right, because if we remember, Anakin's talking about how attachment is forbidden, and, and we'll talk more about it in a minute. But I, I think both Ezra and Ray they look at attachment as a source of their strength and connection with the Force. And I, I think that Ezra, his story hopefully still is left to be told. And I, I think that there's hope for him to maybe be one of the more Jedi of the Jedi. What I really like that he's got, and, and we didn't really define it as a quality of the Jedi, is, is his connection to um, the animal kingdom, if you will, and, and his ability to be part of the living force in a way that we haven't really seen any of the other Jedi be a part of. And I'm sure that it happens. We, we just were never really exposed to it. But I would give him major points for his connection to the living force because of his connection to nature and, and the animals and planets around him. Yeah, I think that's right. I would say Kenobi is probably the other the other Jedi that we know of that has a similar connection. Um, um, but yeah, I, I would agree with that. 
and yeah, and I think that, you know, they're both, again, they're they're good honorable mentions. I don't think they're all the way there. I don't think that they have, I think there's another element that we didn't talk about earlier, which is sort of a thirst for knowledge and growth in the force. And I think they both get to a certain point where, you know, Ray is curious and, and reads the Jedi text quite a bit, but she does it for the purpose of solving a specific problem at the time that she has it. But she doesn't have a broader passion about, um, you know, about just general knowledge of the Force, um, and neither does Ezra, really. They're very, very focused on solving the the problems in front of them and that's a little bit of that selfishness and a little bit of that you know not acknowledgement of the cosmic force like if you, if you brought up the notion of the cosmic force to them they would think that that's a big waste of time because it doesn't solve their immediate problems um and so i think that you know they they have some impulsiveness and some other some other you know attributes that sort of take them away from being those true jedi uh but i think that they're both you know they're still both really great. Um, and I do hope that Ezra story and, and perhaps, you know, the time that we're not seeing Ezra and he's doing whatever it is he's doing, he's going to evolve into that. He, he has a lot of potential to be one of the great Jedi. I, I would agree. So, it, so does Ray for that matter, right? Her story's not told yet either. Yeah. And, and while they do tend to look inward a little bit more than um, some of the other Jedi that we were talking about, I, I do think that they're their compassion their ability to care for their friends and that is something that we don't see as much in other jedi and i think that those other jedi might be better jedi if they did yep absolutely so all right another two bite the dust here as far as our, our quest to find the, the most jedi of the jedi um i i feel like you know there's a obvious answer many people would say that it would be Yoda is the most Jedi of the Jedi and you know we, we can come back to Yoda but do you think that's where this is headed no I don't and in fact I, you know what I, I'll give I'll go so far as to say double no in that I think the Yoda there are really two representations of Yoda that we know right we know Grandmaster Yoda and we know the Hermit Yoda and neither, while either of them are certainly in contention and there are certain attributes that they have that are above and beyond all other Jedi, uh, I don't think either of them is the, is the, the pinnacle of the Jedi. Um, I think that Grandmaster Yoda is a little bit too attached to the Order, a little bit too arrogant, a little bit too um, confident in his own skills and the skills of the, the Jedi Council around him. And... Uh, and I think that the Hermit Yoda is lacks confidence and lacks uh, the compassion for the... I mean, he let the galaxy suffer for 20 years. Yeah, and he watched the Republic fall on his watch. Like, you know, he, he saw the a Sith Lord come to rise because he wasn't paying close enough attention and calling the shots. Instead, he was too busy meditating, which we established meditation is an important Jedi quality, but maybe he went too far with that. Yeah, and and he has a great attachment. You know, I mean, Yoda is probably the second most um, attuned to the force of the of the Jedi that we're going to talk about. And he does have a great balance between the living force and the cosmic force to the point that, you know, the 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 uh, the sisters teach him the secret to immortality, which he passes on to Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
And he, you know, he was the one who was chosen to, to learn that secret. And he was rightfully chosen. He's the right person. He is the probably the greatest teacher in, you know, known Jedi that we've that we've seen. And he has the broadest knowledge of the force. Um, and he has the curiosity of the force that I that I just said that probably Ezra and Ray don't have. But he is in a way he's a little bit too navel gazy, as they say, where he he thinks too much about the broader mysteries and not about how that force affects individual people. Um, you know, in season seven of Clone Wars, we meet the um, Martez sisters, the Martez sisters and the Martez sisters, you know, kind of make a good point that the Jedi are kind of heads in the clouds, not really help. I don't think that Yoda would would think of helping the Martez sisters, even though, you know, he says things to people like Padme Amidala that, you know, your safety brings warm feelings to my heart. He thinks about individuals, but only the important individuals that he knows. And that's just sort of a a factor of his position. But, you know, he is a little bit too head in the clouds for a little tiny guy. Yeah, I would agree. He's not, you know, dropping a couple of dollars in the the red jar with santa you know at the holidays he's not even going out christmas shopping he's not thinking about that kind of thing he he's certainly very focused on you know the higher level aspects of being a jedi And, and i think that that's where you know jedi really need to think about what it means to be more than themselves and that's, I think, his biggest failing is he doesn't see so much of the outside aspect of the non-Jedi way. Yeah, I, I, and maybe ironically, maybe not, I think that Yoda is actually ends up being at his best and he finds his best balance after his death. Um, his conversation with Luke Skywalker as a, as a Force ghost was probably the most probably the most powerful Yoda that we see in the whole series in that he recognized, you know, he, he goes into exile because he recognized his failure, but he didn't embrace his failure and learn from it. And he spent 18 years alone on Dagobah wallowing in his failure. And it was only after his own death and coming back as a force ghost that he really truly understood that his failure was a benefit to him and that the balance of success and failure was really where you know where true you know both being a master and being a teacher uh, really comes from and it's funny that you know he didn't recognize that until it was until after he had left uh, the the living force and I think that he didn't realize that he can be a master and a teacher, but he could also still remain a student. And he needed that final lesson in death to have an additional lesson as a student that really, I think, grounded him out as a Jedi. Yep. So not the most Jedi Jedi of them all. Yeah. No, no surprisingly. Right. I, you know, he's he's obvious. He's the obvious answer. And I don't think he's the right one. Um, you know, doesn't count after you're dead. No, no, I, I guess not. Honorable mention, though, or, or possible runner-up. We'll, we'll see. Um, so with that, you know, let, let's go into someone that we know probably their story's not told yet all the way, hopefully not, but probably the not the most Jedi Jedi of them all, but Grogu or Baby Yoda. Yeah, I, you know, I think Grogu has a lot of potential to be. Um, I think it's too early to tell is really, is really my, my read on Grogu. I think that Grogu's upbringing is going to give him a lot of possibilities. Um, and you know, we've already seen flashes of light and darkness in him. We've seen flashes of personality. We've seen, 
you know, uh, that he's been through pain and he has come through on the other side of it. We've seen, um, you know, fondness and attachment from him. It'll be really interesting to see what he learns from Luke Skywalker um, and and where he comes out on that. I mean, I you know, could could still be he's got, you know, potentially he's got another 850 years ahead of him. A lot of time. Yeah. Yeah. When 900 years you are. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think he, he's shown us his meditation skills. We, we saw that. Um, we've seen, uh, his combat skills where he's like wielding the fire and, you know, he's kind of murdery. Uh, we haven't a hundred percent seen his strength with the light side of the force. We've just seen his strength with the force in general. Um, he, he's very fluid between both sides of the force. So it, it could go either way for him at this point. Uh, obviously we, we haven't seen him as, um, you know, really being selfless. He, he seems pretty selfish, to be honest. Um, so the, the Sith look inward. So I'm a little worried about that there. Yeah, actually, now that you bring it up, if you think about his uses of the force, it was it's to take the take the little ball to take the cookies to grab fire and use it to kill a bunch of stormtroopers to hold the mud horn up so that Din Djarin can kill it. Um, force choked uh, Force choked Cara Dune and then beat up some stormtroopers. I'm going to be honest, like I'm not, you know, not that you mentioned it. He's super. And then, and then on top of it, he ate a bunch of frog ladies, you know, eggs. Um, I, I'm not sure that we've seen a lot of lightness out of uh, he, young He's Grogu. used the healing aspect of the force. He did use the healing aspect so of the force. I'll, I'll give him positive points there, but you're right. A lot of dark side right there with that little one. Yeah. 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 So, we should probably keep an eye on that kid. Yeah, we, we really should. We shouldn't just turn him over to the first Jedi we meet in the galaxy. Well. Second then, Jedi we meet in the galaxy. Yeah. 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 Speaking of the first Jedi we meet. Yeah. Yeah. So Ahsoka Tano. Um. She says she is no Jedi. Um, I would disagree with her. I think she embodies so many traits of the Jedi, which we, you know, going to the Jedi code specifically. And then also strength with the light side of the force, selflessness, her lightsaber skills, her combat skills, her meditation. The fact that she realizes she needs to take a break from the force and think about things. Like you don't have to sit in the lotus position to meditate. You can meditate through action in your life. And she's able to do that. Um, she is, I, I don't know if I would necessarily call her a keeper of the peace. as She does jump to battle uh, kind of anxiously a few times. But that is the role of the Jedi at the time. Um, and then as far as her connection with the living force and the cosmic force, we really don't know a lot about that, but we know that the f- force does flow very strongly through her. Yeah. And, and I guess I would, I would sort of pile onto that because, you know, to me, she's actually a, a strong surprise contender for most Jedi Jedi in that she not only all those things you said, I would say that she is a strong keeper of the peace. At least what we saw, you know, in, in part, it's, it's part of her mission to, um, find Thrawn, but the way that she, you know, sort of takes down the oppressive regime on Corvus, the way that she fought the Pikes with the Martez sisters, the way that, you know, she left the Jedi Order because she felt like they weren't doing enough for ordinary people, that all they were doing was fighting a war and that she wasn't sure that she could be a part of that. I think that she really embodied what should be the spirit of a Jedi in terms of going down to individual people and helping them. She right? was very philanthropic. I would agree with you there. Yeah. And that's something that they're lacking. That's right. And then, you know, as far as her connection to the Force, she 
fought Vader on Malachor and she spent, you know, maybe 10 years meditating on Malachor, she visited the world between worlds with Ezra and explained to Ezra what the world between worlds was. She was brought back to life by the daughter and she was given, you know, the Avatar Morii as a representation of, you know, she has the life force of the light side in her, right? Um, she's been through a surprising amount of things uh, and come out, you know, still positive, still helping people, still trying to find her friend Ezra, still working for, you know, the forces of the light. Um, the fact that she doesn't call herself a Jedi and she wields silver lightsabers. I mean, even in, in the story that, you know, that followed her leaving Coruscant, she went, you know, and, and sort of gave up her force powers and tried to, to work as a, you know, basically as a, a mechanic and a repair person in a village on, on some remote moon. And when she found out that the, you know, that the empire was about to take over, she helped lead a resistance and get all of the people evacuated from that moon. Right. She really embodies the things that are important about helping individual people and being in touch with the light side of the force as she does all of that. And she has plenty of opportunities to fall to the dark. She's betrayed by her order. She's betrayed by her master. You know, Anakin in the in the guise of Vader tries to kill her at least once. And through all of that, she rises up. She helps the rebellion. She you know, Ezra pulled her out of Malachor and she voluntarily went back to Malachor for 10 years because that was where she belonged and she didn't want to throw the force out of balance. That is pretty impressive stuff. All right. I, I mean, that that's a possible vote for number one Jedi of them all. But uh, let's uh, let's talk about a few more here because I... I mean, I'm a big Ahsoka Tano fan. I know you are as well. And if you guys can't tell, we're clearly biased. But I, I think that uh, th there's a few other really good Jedi that we have yet to talk about. Um, and I want to bring in Kanan Jarrus. I, I think uh, the other day when you and I were casually discussing this, I, I said that I thought Kanan Jarrus might be one of the most Jedi Jedi of them all. And why is that? For some of the same reasons as Ahsoka Tano is that he lost his master in Order 66 and he was on the run and he lived in fear and he hid from the Force. And then he came back to it. He, he was always part of the cause, sort of. Not the same way that the other rebels were, but he, he was connected on a couple of levels. And the fact that he came back he found his role as a mentor, as a teacher, and then learned the same that we talked about what made Yoda a better Jedi was after he had his failure and learning from that. And that didn't happen until after death. I think for Kanan, it happened after he was blinded by Maul. And so he learned what it really meant that he had a series of failures and he could truly see through the Force and feel the Force when he actually lost his sight. And I, I think that that meant that he learned about what it meant to have attachment, but a healthy balance of it, what it meant to have sacrifice, what it meant to have a cause, what it meant to be a very strong lightsaber wielder. Uh, the, the fact that obviously he can't see and he's still able to, you know, go through the motions and, and be quite prof quite proficient at it um and, and then also see although he's blind but see that Ezra is losing his way and help him find his way back like that is 
you know, what a Jedi should do. A Jedi should be connected to those around them and through the Force. And I think that he really sees that. And then when he realizes that the best way um, for him to contribute to the team is through sacrifice, there it's the most selfless act that he could have. Yeah, uh, I agree with all of that. On top of it, you know, his connection to the Bendu, um, who is you know, the, the, the mid, the middle. And I, you know, I've, if, if we haven't figured it out by now, I'm a big supporter of sort of this moderate view of the force. Um, you don't have to be all the way light or all the way dark in order to be a a good Jedi. Um, that I think that that's really important. Uh, I, you know, I think that a little bit, he, he has selfless motives, but he also uh, he has a lot of fear and a low confidence in his own ability to teach. And I think you're right. After he loses his sight, he really gains a new level. Um, but up to that point, I think that his training of Ezra was a little bit awkward and a little bit focused on his own success rather than Ezra's success. And then later, I think that he learned to adapt and do better. And by, you know, by the you know final years that he and Ezra were together, he really did do a lot of the right thing. I think he could have done a better job of letting Ezra discover on his own, um, maybe then, then, you know, try to tell him what to do and was had a little bit of that Jedi indoctrination from his youth in him. Um, um, but yeah, he's a he's a very strong surprise, another strong surprise contender. Um, and, you know, his final lesson to Ezra is that sacrifice and Ezra, you know, wanting to bring him back from the world between worlds and Ahsoka stopping him um, was a really important lesson. And it really set Ezra on the path that he was on to finish that mission. Um, and so Kanan is a surprisingly important Jedi. I'm, I, I don't have the gut. Like your argument is strong. I don't have the gut feel that he is the most Jedi Jedi, but he really does surprisingly have a lot of the, the really important aspects. And he does go head to head with Vader and not die. That's important. <laughs> Yeah, no, certainly very talented in combat and with the lightsaber. Um, I, I think that the reason why he is not the most Jedi of Jedi in comparison to at least Ahsoka Tano is, is that he was kind of willing to sit back and forget that he was a Jedi and she brought it out in him. So that, again, another point to her yeah. um, that it took her coming into the, the group of rebels combined with uh, having an apprentice in Ezra that made him come back to being a Jedi. He, he wasn't all in on his own. It, he really didn't need the attachment of others to propel him back into the Jedi way. Yeah, I think the one other thing that that's a little bit um, a little bit takes him out of the the, the lead spot. He had access to two holocrons, um, and while learning from a Sith holocron is certainly a perilous journey, he had a Jedi holocron. And he rarely used it to go beyond, you know, every time you saw him open it, it was watching, you know, Anakin do basic form form three lightsaber techniques. He had the ability to go deeper into the force. He had access to the Bendu and never really delved into the deeper mysteries of the force. He stayed very on the surface layer, similar to to how some of the other folks we talked about, you know, really, you know, Ray and 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 even Ezra stayed focused on the force for their own, you know, immediate purposes when he had the ability to learn so much more and he didn't really take advantage of it. In fact, seemed scared of it. When Ezra started to take more steps into deeper parts of the force and work with Maul, which again, maybe not a great idea, but you know, uh, he was immediately said, no, we don't want to know about that. And, and instead of saying, 
you know, we'd like to learn more, but let's be careful about it. He just said, no, we don't need to know those things. And that may have been um, something that some of the other uh, Jedi that I think are more Jedi Jedi would have done. Right. He he went into knowledge with fear, which we know fear is a step in the path to the dark side of the force. And I think that, you know, maybe looking at a Ray or an Ezra, that they did not look at knowledge with any kind of fear. And, and maybe they should have. But they, they didn't. And that's, I think, why they were able to bounce back. And I think that because Kanan looked at it with some fear, that that's why he he just chose not to go down that path. Um, so that, that brings us to the last three from our list here. We've got Luke Skywalker, Anakin Skywalker, and Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, I, I still think that Ahsoka Tano might be in the running here. So, you know, I, I have not written her off. But uh, tell me about these three. Yeah. So, you know, Luke, Obi-Wan, and and Anakin, really the three of them have such different paths. Um, I think we need to spend time on each of them. Um, Anakin is clearly and without, you know, b- both measurably scientifically and, and clearly through, you know, his adventures with the father and his place as the chosen one has the strongest connection to the force of anybody, even Yoda. He's the forciest guy. He is the forciest guy, but he is also the the weakest of heart in a way um, for a lot of reasons. And, 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 you know, in a way you could say it's because, you know, he grew up as a slave boy on Tatooine and he had a hard life and everything, but so did Ezra. Right. And so did, um, so many people grew so up in slavery. Po- We've talked about oh, this. Yeah, There's yeah. so much slavery and they don't all go around destroying the galaxy or the Republic. That's right. So, yes. So that's not a good excuse here. No, but and- I'm not condoning slavery. Let, let's move on. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, but like he had a hard he had a hard upbringing, but so did a lot of people, and they did not fall victim the way that he did to his own you know person. He was he ended up being a very selfish person through his entire life, right? And so even at the very end, right, he only you know like he he's lauded as you know coming back to the light, and you know and and that's the way Luke Skywalker tells the story. But really, he killed the Emperor because the Emperor was killing his son, right? Uh, which was in you know in a way was a final vindication for him. But in another way, it was it was a selfish, you know, choice to save his own son. Yeah, he let the emperor kill all the people on Alderaan. He didn't care about them. He That's cared right. about and, his one son. And he was right. more than happy to let him kill the entire rebellion, right? And then, you know, when it when it attacks his own, you know, his only son, then all of a sudden it became a problem. So, you know, he he's always been very self-focused and a little bit too quick to fight and too quick to anger and definitely not interested. You know, again, he was only interested in the broader mysteries of the force for the purposes of saving Padme, which was another selfish choice. Right. And so, you know, he assumed himself to be better than everybody else. And in some ways, I mean, he is, the, you know, the best lightsaber duelist in the galaxy. Right. He is, you know, he had access. And, and I guess this is the other thing that's that's sort of disappointing pointing from a Jedi aspect of him is that we see in the, you know, in the father, son, daughter episodes that he has this wealth of access to the force and yet he rarely uses it, right? By the same power that he could use in that situation, he could have been pulling, you know, enemy droid ships from the sky, but he really, he craved that sort of personal one-on-one kind of battle and the excitement of it. And so where he had the ability to use the force to gain knowledge and also to, you know, preserve peace, he 
he liked the fight too much. He liked the thrill. And I think that that kind of goes to where we first meet him when he's like little pod racing eight-year-old boy. And then also when we see him in episode two, Attack of the Clones, where he's like racing throughout Coruscant and Obi-Wan is like, I'm going to go in and get a drink. And Anakin's pacing around kind of like all amped up. And he's always looking for something more. He's always... He's never satisfied, and that goes to his selfishness. Yeah, and you know something. Luke uh, Yoda says something similar about Luke Skywalker, but I think eventually Luke gets over it, and Anakin never does. And so, you know, look, if I need somebody to lead an army, he's my guy, right? But I don't think that you know wars don't make one great, and I don't think that that is the essence of being a Jedi because he very much like the council that he so rejected really doesn't think about the the people. And the galaxy and the, you know, even, you know, even in his sort of political philosophy where he would rather have somebody making a decision and he wants, you know, he essentially wants to be a dictator because he feels like that doesn't leave people behind. He doesn't really think through that his own version of that is is just as brutal as the indifference that he hates so much. So he was not very self-reflective. He was not very introspective. Um, and he let his, his pain, you know, overcome him and overwhelm him. And so he is not the most Jedi Jedi. Not the most Jedi Jedi. So what about his son, Luke Skywalker? So now we're talking, right? (laughs) Um, you know, I think, I think we're down to, uh, to, you know, obviously we, uh, we saved probably some of our best candidates toward the end here. Um, Luke, you know, Luke comes into being a Jedi at a time when there are no other Jedi. And the two that he learns from, Obi-Wan and Yoda, both have very different styles, different philosophies. And Luke has the benefit of not being indoctrinated by the council um, and lets some of his own life experience sort of color the way that he becomes a Jedi. Now, in his in his youth, that's not great. <laughs> Right. He does crave excitement. He does crave adventure. He does think a little bit about himself and how, you know, he wasn't treated the way that he wanted to be by his uncle and everything else. But I want to go buy power converters. That's right. Yeah. Um, and, you know, he wanted to join the rebellion or, or at least get out and see the galaxy. And he wanted all these things and he got them. But I think that if you look at his overall arc, right, he goes through a little bit of, you know, he, he touches darkness um, certainly, you know, when he, you know, invades Jabba's palace, he uses force choke, which I actually don't think was super dark side at the time. It was just, it was just a cool flex. But, but by the time that he fights Vader, especially the second time, and he gives into his anger in the throne room with the emperor, right? He touches the dark side, but he immediately recognizes it and rejects it. Um, and so he does have this broader thought about the force. And, and even though, you know, our feelings well here about um, the portrayal of Luke in episode eight, there are some good introspective elements of that and some broader thoughts about the mysteries of, of the bigger force. Right. And, you know, he talks to Yoda as a force ghost. He becomes a force ghost himself. So he clearly, his you know, astral projection, his connection with both the living and cosmic force. Dude is off the charts here. That's right. Absolutely. And I mean, even to the point that his force ghost is able to raise his X-wing from from the uh, from the waters of Achito. Right. And and so, you know, he he really kind of hits on all of these elements. And especially when you read some of the expanded material about him. Right. Ultimately, his 
purpose in life is to bring justice to, to everyone around him and bring compassion to everyone around him. And he gets burned by, by Ben Solo pretty badly. And he does take his guilt maybe a little bit too far. But in the end, he redeems himself and he does what's right for the resistance. And he does what's right for his sister. Um, and he does what's right for Ray. He sets Ray on her path, whether he, you know, he probably could have done it in a slightly more constructive way, but he does it nonetheless, right? He trained Leia. He did, he did a lot of the things that he really should have done to bring, you know, sort of that Jedi spirit back to the galaxy. Um, and let's not forget that he did in his own way, redeem Anakin Skywalker. He had a lot of opportunities to both fall deeply to the dark side there when he learned that, that Vader is his father or to seek revenge and try to kill Vader and kill the emperor himself. And he did the one and only thing he sacrificed himself in a way to ensure that Vader turned back and that the emperor was defeated. Yeah, no. And I think that kind of makes up for, some of his selfishness and ambition when he tells Yoda, um, you know, on Yoda's deathbed, well, I am a Jedi. And and Yoda's like, not so much, uh, but maybe it, you have work to do. But he, he wants that title. He craves it. He, he's got ambition, which isn't what he's supposed to have as a Jedi. Um, and I, I think that he jumps the gun there. And then when he realizes that he's willing to sacrifice himself, that kind of balances it out. Um, and I think that kind of sets him back on his path of being a Jedi. And and then as we talked about last week, uh, when we see him in uh, the season finale of The Mandalorian and, and he walks in and he is clearly a badass and really in tune with his lightsaber skills, his combat skills, and his ability to take down the greatest weapons in hand-to-hand combat that we are aware of you know in the galaxy far far away at this time you know obviously that makes up for his less than stellar lightsaber skills that we'd previously seen yeah well and don't forget that i mean he holds his own against vader in his prime so his lightsaber skills are fine um it's just not choreographed the same way. No, it's not, yeah. right? But but Vader, even in the you know in his Vader suit, is still a very good swordsman, and you know Luke holds his own and eventually defeats him. I think that his "I am a Jedi" is a really interesting moment there because at the time I think that he really is, and and I think though at the same time Yoda's not wrong in that in order to truly be finally be a Jedi, he has to confront Vader. And in that confrontation, he recognizes, you know, it's a story I've, I've told people that I remember when I was young in my career, people told me I had raw talent, but I needed experience. And in my youth and arrogance, I thought that that experience was worthless until one day I woke up and I had just enough experience to realize that I didn't have enough experience. And I realized that I was nowhere near where I thought I should be. That I think is what happened to Luke in sort of that at at before he went to the throne room where he was where when he was training with Yoda and he'd come back from Cloud City, you know, he thought, no, I'm definitely a Jedi. He'd he'd done that mission with, you know, he'd he'd been to Tatooine, he defeated Jabba, you know, he used his Jedi skills and he did all those things and he came back to Yoda. And then it was only in that final confrontation that he was like, Whoa, I'm not there yet. And then getting through that, he got the experience that he needed to truly become a Jedi Knight and then later a Jedi Master. Completely agree on all of that. Um, whether or not that makes him the most Jedi of the Jedi, I, I'm still on the fence about. Um, so let, let's uh, talk about this final uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi here. Yeah. And so, you know, Obi-Wan, um, 
he is a really interesting and well-rounded package. He is the quintessential, you know, they call him the negotiator and he is the warrior diplomat. He's the reluctant leader. He is, you know, open to the to the broader mysteries of the force. He volunteers to go meditate on Tatooine, a place that he knows and he knows that it's a place he doesn't want to be and it's a place where he will have nothing to do for 18 years while Luke grows up. Right. There's there's very little for him to do there. So he does not crave adventure. He does not crave excitement. He wants to spend that time thinking about the broader force. But prior to that, he is one of the most compassionate generals in, you know, in the Grand Army of the Republic. He argues against the council many times when they when they're, you know, kind of escalating the war. He thinks through things before he does them. You know, he treats all beings other than droids and spaceships around him with a great deal of respect and, you know, and care. And he also is the greatest, um, Sorsu, uh, lightsaber fighter in the galaxy, which is the defensive style. It's the style that has no offensive, no offensive potential whatsoever. You defend yourself until you can disarm your opponent and then get them to yield. There are no killing strikes in his style of lightsaber combat. And and that really comes out in his whole personality, right? And and at the same time, he is a fierce warrior and he defeats many people and he teaches Anakin. He probably instructed Anakin as well as anybody could. And he was Anakin's brother and was betrayed by him, but not through really any fault of his own, right? Through the faults of fate and the will of the force, right? And even in the even in the end, I think that it was somewhat cruel for him to leave Anakin burning on the shores of Mustafar, but he could not kill his brother, right? And you know, and he warned him. He gave him a chance, right? Even to the very end, he had been fighting him for hours and then he gave him a chance to surrender. And when he didn't take it, he did what he had to do because it was the right thing for him to do. And he was trying to prevent evil from flowing into the galaxy. And so he's just, he's both a tragic figure and a wise figure and a patient figure. And ultimately he sacrifices himself so that he can become part of the cosmic force and guide Luke Skywalker in a way that he would not have been able to do otherwise yeah so what am i supposed to follow that up with um actually no there's a couple points that i i really do think are important to obi-wan kenobi as to why he potentially has my vote for most jedi jedi of them all and uh here they are one when he watches his master qui-gon jinn get killed by maul or darth darth maul at that point and and he he goes out full rage you know, sabers blazing and, and takes care of Maul very swiftly. He's clearly tapped into the dark side of the force. And then he steps back from that and he becomes a patient older brother, Jedi master teacher to Anakin. He he doesn't just fester in that dark side. You know, he, he didn't take put a toe in and then say, water's not too bad. I'm going all the way in. He's like, I did what I needed to do. I need to come back from that. He had his relationship with the Duchess Satine. He had attachment. He was willing to leave the Jedi Order. And and I think the fact that he chose not to because he realized that, you know, she had her mission and he had his was the most selfless thing he could do. Um, he, you know, he, he wasn't supposed to have any kind of attachment to begin with. So he, he kind of dabbled in that selfishness briefly. But he realized, yeah, he did hurt her feelings and she hurt his feelings, but she had a bigger, broader scope 
that did not include him. Her path was, was bigger than him. And, and he was big enough to know that. Whereas I think like Anakin was certainly very self-absorbed and thought that he could, you know, have it all and, and have his secret marriage with Padme and all of that. And so I, I give more points to Obi-Wan Kenobi for understanding that attachment wasn't evil, but it, it came to an end and that he could celebrate what it was without it ever holding him back or truly haunting him. And yeah, he had a connection to Mandalore and he had a connection to the Duchess. And so that kept bringing him back um, and potentially putting himself in danger. But he, it wasn't purely selfish. Uh, unfortunately, in sharing that information, he didn't use that opportunity to teach Anakin about what it meant to have an attachment and walk away from it. And so I think that was kind of a failed moment. But that that notwithstanding, um, you know, just a huge, huge point in Kenobi's favor. And then lastly, we, we've talked about this many times, is his reluctance to kill Maul in the desert. Um, I, I think just understanding, okay, this is the will of the force. He He's not all murdery. Like he's totally killed bunches of guys before, you know, you know, he has, but he, he recognizes what his assignment is and just understands it's the will of the force and the force is going to flow through him to finish this final act. And so I, I think those three instances on top of everything that you just said, you know, really point to why he may be the most Jedi Jedi of them all. Yeah. And I was actually going to bring back up while you were talking, I thought of his final fight with Maul. And I think that really encapsulates all of those attributes of him, right? Where he, he did understand it was the will of the force. He was called to that moment by the force, right? Which, which Maul did, but you know, he was attuned to the force to know what was happening. He rescued Ezra. He knows that Maul is coming. He sends Ezra on his path and then when he has that fight, he doesn't prolong the fight, right? He could have he could have dueled Maul for a long time. He could have made a big deal out of it. He could have flourished. But he just, you know, he calmly and, and sadly, you know, defeated his lifelong enemy and then took compassion on him, even in his own death, right? And and you know, and told him that he was looking over, you know, the chosen one and gave Maul at you know, at the moment of his death, you know, kind of the the peace that he needed as well. Um, knowing that he had he had no choice but to do that, and yet he still did it in a compassionate way, which is a weird thing to say about killing someone. But you know he, yeah. Um, and then you know, kind of quietly went about back to whatever you know whatever it was that he did while he was waiting for for Luke to to come of age and to take care of him. I'm really really interested to see what the Kenobi uh, show is about. Right. Because it's going to it's going to going to expound on that time. And I think that's probably going to add points in his favor. I, I suspect you're right. Um, I, I don't see it subtracting from his Jedi-ness, if you will. Um, I, I still think that personally, I, I think it's almost a tie between Ahsoka Tano and Luke Skywalker for number two Jedi. Mm -hmm. And then after that, like, I, I don't know how we rank them. I, I think I feel very uh, prone to say Kanan Jarrus. Uh, but I, I could see arguments being made for um, Qui-Gon and Yoda for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, I probably I might even put Ezra in with uh, in with Qui-Gon and Yoda, which I think I'd put Ray above Ezra. Yeah, maybe um, Ray raise raise a little bit of raise a tough one for me because, you know, she did incredible things. And I mean, she obviously defeated the Sith Eternal Empire. Uh, emperor right but at the same time she was not 
she never really true like in a way she didn't embrace who she was as a Jedi right and and it was it was almost like she had a power that she needed to use but really wasn't comfortable with it so it's it's hard for me to figure out where she fits yeah yeah no i i i would say that she is a reluctant jedi for sure yeah um, yeah so if we were to define what we think a jedi code should be and i think this kind of ties back to how we sometimes talk about love and relationships um, I, I would say that relationships and love and compassion and selflessness, because one of the reasons that I think that our marriage works so well is we both are willing to do so much for the other, uh, not to our own detriment, but really, you know, it, it's about supporting each other. And I think that there's very few instances in which um, the top Jedi that we've spoken of have done things truly to their own detriment in, in favor of someone else. But it, it's really been not truly just beneficial. It, it's been a mutual symbiotic relationship. And considering that Jedi aren't supposed to have attachments, but the best Jedi have attachments, I think that we should rewrite that code. I agree. Um, you know, and I think I think that, you know, including compassion selflessness service of others uh as well as an you know embrace of the force um and uh and you know serenity but but even in here you know there is no passion there is serenity i think a little bit of passion doesn't hurt right and so you know some emotion is is okay and i think really the extreme nature of the the jedi code is to its detriment right and so i think that you know i think that it is about it's about balance um, and balance doesn't necessarily mean you incorporate the dark elements. It just it means that you don't have to always be perfect. Right. And I think that one of the biggest failings of the Jedi Order was it was basically you were either a perfect Jedi or you're nothing. And that led to a lot of inaction and it led to a lot of overthinking and it led to a lot of a, a lot of you know problems with the way they were going about. Uh, their mission, which was really to serve others. Um, and so I think there's compassionate service um, and, you know, following the will of the force are really the things that, that make one a really strong Jedi. Yeah, I completely agree to all of that. So uh, what's next? So what is next? Um, you know, I think we're going to do some more topics like this. I think uh, you said you're going to put the call out um, to maybe try to get us some guests and some, you know, sort of a mailbag sort of episode. So I think uh, any, you know, any y'all who are listening um, between, you know, Twitter, Facebook, email, text, wh- however it is that you would you would get questions to us, we'd love to uh, to answer some questions. And if you want to be a guest on here, um, let us know. We'll set up a, you know, a Zoomy Zoom and some other technology to to let you talk to us and, and record uh what your what your thoughts are? Um, I know there are a couple people. At least one person's told me before it wants to uh, get his opinion in on on episode eight, and I think there's a great debate to be had about that. Except that we're gonna win because there's <laughs> two of us, um, and only one of you, boss. And uh, you know whatever else comes. Yeah, no, I I think that would be a lot of fun. We we obviously have a lot of fun talking about Star Wars with each other, not just on this podcast, but as we've referenced in our free time as well. And, and we'd love to in, encourage more people to join us for that. So I love you. I know. <laughs>